And was, hasn't it been just a wonderful, wonderful weekend already, worshiping and praising our God and hearing the truth delivered uh, through Miss Elisa? I want to say a special thanks to Pastor Ron because this was something that the Lord put on Pastor Ron's heart a while back to have Miss Elisa come. And uh, his ministry is taking, it's God's ministry through Pastor Ron, is taking care of all of the expenses and everything. It's not something that Myrtle Grove Baptist Church probably would have been able to afford, but we are so thankful that we were allowed to host this. And Pastor Ron, we just want to say thank you to you and for your ministry. Y'all give Pastor Ron a clap of thanks. This morning, we're going to be continuing in Ephesians chapter 6 as we talk about spiritual war. And the title of the message today, beginning in verse 13, is the day of evil. And so we need to be ready for the day of evil. The Bible speaks of the condition of the world during the last day. So none of these things should take us by surprise because the Bible has warned us that we're going to be facing dark days and it's going to get darker before it gets to the end. And so listen to what the Bible has to say. Ephesians 5:16, the last days will be evil days. Paul says, uh, the days are evil. Matthew 24:10, Jesus said that there will be a great falling away that happens as we get toward the end. In uh, the same chapter, and in verse 12, lawlessness will increase. And then he says, the love of many will grow cold in that same verse. And then Romans 1 and verse 30, Paul says, men will be haters of God. Haters of God. Progressive Christianity is fueled by the one who hates the Lord. We know last week we saw that our enemy, the devil, he hates the things of God. He hates the people of God. He is absolutely against us. And he will inspire men to hate God. And so Romans uh, 1.30. And then Second uh, Timothy chapter 3. Evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. That's the world that we live in today. It's a dark world. It's a dark time. And Paul spoke of a day like today whenever he wrote in Ephesians chapter 6 that we need to be ready to stand on the day of evil. Today we have lots of religion and no relationship. We have churches that are full of empty people. And we have empty people in the pews because our pulpits are devoid of the truth of the gospel. The world has exchanged the truth for the lie. And today's world is living under the deception of the enemy. And I don't want you to think that our enemy is opposed to religion. The first war of deception that the, evil, that the devil ever waged against humanity was right there in the garden. Whenever he tempted Eve, not, listen, not with sin and not with evil, he tempted Eve with godliness. He told Eve, you can be like God without God and without doing it His way. And that was the temptation. And so the world around you is looking for morality without God. A morality that it can determine on its own terms. I am the arbiter of truth, the world will say. I get to decide what's right and wrong. Not God and not what God has written. I am the author of my own destiny. 
Romans 1, Paul says, Therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged, listen, what did they exchange? They exchanged the truth about God, for what? For a lie. And worshipped and served the creature, that's me, rather than the Creator who is forever blessed. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, today is the day of evil. Friends, I'm telling you, you are living in the day of evil. If you don't believe that evil is prevalent in our world, then you're living under a rock. If you can't see the time shifting and that we are living in the end times and we're living in dark days, you're just not paying attention. But I want to tell you this truth this morning, and this is our biblical truth before we read our text. No amount of evil can stop a Christian who stands upon the truth. No amount of evil. It doesn't matter how dark it gets. All of the darkness in the world cannot extinguish the light of a single flame. When a Christian stands on the Word of God, nothing can defeat him or her. And so that's how we have to stand. And that's what Paul tells us to do. And we have to remember that as we wage this warfare, it's not waged against our enemy with any kind of carnal or or fleshly uh, instruments of war. Our weapons are not carnal, Paul says in in, uh, 2 Corinthians 10. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And I listened as Miss Alicia was presenting this morning. I was thinking about how these people have lofty opinions, but they lack truth. They're not building the things that they believe on truth. And so as Christians and as believers, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. How many of you had to bend your brains a little bit this weekend so far? I mean, you're going to go, what is she talking about? She lost me there or anything like that. We're thinking about things that are, that are higher than us. We're thinking about the things of God. And we do have to use our brains. And Paul tells us to take our thoughts captive, to grab hold of them and, and, and train our thoughts to be thinking of the truth of God. Let's stand together and let's hear what Paul admonishes us in Ephesians 6. We'll begin in verse 13. Paul says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Take up. Uh, Having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Let's stay, uh, stop there and let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word today, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would illumine your word, Lord, today. Lord, prepare us for the day of evil. Lord, we know that evil is all around us. It's in front of us, behind us. It buffets us to the right and to the left. But Father, your spirit is a hedge about us. Lord, Your Word dwells richly within us. And Lord, there is absolutely nothing that can defeat us. And no weapon formed against us will prosper, Lord, if we are standing in Your truth. So today, Lord, I pray that the Christians in the room, the believers in Jesus Christ, 
Lord, they would take their stand. And Lord, that that you would find them faithful in all of these things, Lord. And daily we would take up the armor of God and we would be ready to defeat every scheme of our enemy, Lord. And we would progress with the gospel, Lord. Not against the gospel, but with the gospel for your kingdom and for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we're going to look at the first three elements of the armor of God this morning. And this is a very familiar passage. I know most of you, if you've been a Christian very long, you've studied the armor of God. You've thought about it. But I want us, want us to think about it a little bit differently today as we think about the, the progressive Christianity that's all around us and how the armor of God will help protect us in this evil day that we're living in and how we can fight against it. And so, number one, Paul says to take up the belt of what? Truth. Take up the belt of truth. I was, I was blessed with uh, more hips. And the men in my family, we just don't have any hips. They're, they call them frog hips. That's just what they... Y'all quit looking at my hips right now. You're embarrassing me. Okay. Now, we can say that about the men, but I, I'm not going to say that about the women, okay? But the men, we've got little bitty skinny hips, and we have to wear belts. I'm, yesterday, I was out uh, doing some pressure washing and stuff, and I was nasty and sweaty and, and wet, and my pants began to sag because of that, because I didn't put my belt on. And you can imagine a soldier out on the battlefield without a belt on, and how everything begins to sag and everything begins to fall apart. And Paul, as he's writing to the uh, Ephesian church, he's writing from prison in Rome. And he has, he has a centurion guard that's guarding him daily. And he's able to see the centurion's armor. And it probably provided inspiration as he wrote to the Ephesian church as he watched that, that soldier every day in his movements and, and everything. And he could see his armor every single day. Well, the belt was that central piece of the armor that held everything else together. And that's the way truth is for the Christian. Truth holds everything together. It's essential equipment. For the believer. And we saw last night that Jesus said in John 17 that we are to be sanctified by the truth. He prayed that we would be sanctified by the truth, and His Word is truth. He doesn't say His Word, it contains truth, or, or that parts of it are true. What does He say about it? He says the Word is truth. Okay, And so we're supposed to fasten that around us. And, and uh, as we think about that, we have to think about whose truth we're talking about. What truth uh, we have. And number one, we see that there is an author of truth. And the Bible declares that God is the author of truth. The truth is, we heard last night, it corresponds with reality. What's real around us? And some people say, well, it's my truth. I'm living my truth. We see the title of Elisa's book is Live Your Truth and Other Lies, right? It's a lie. The truth can't be your truth or my truth. All truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth because He is the author of truth. So if it's true, it's God's truth. And if it's a lie, it's a lie from the devil. And let me tell you this. there is only the truth and the lie. There's nothing in between. E- either, either there's a hell or there's not a hell. 
Either you're a male or a female. You can't be both. or You can't choose which one you are. You are a male or a female. Right? It's either black or white. All right? The, the in-between stuff that we conjure up in our minds, it doesn't exist. There is truth and there is a lie. And so when we, when we take up the belt of truth, we have to realize where truth comes from. What is its source? God's truth is found in Scripture. The word for truth in the Bible is aletheia. Allison's name is derived from that. Uh, comes from that. And if you want to know the truth, all you have to do is ask Miss Allison. Because she's going to tell you the truth no matter whether you like it or not. I asked her this morning, I pulled out my shirt that I had been thinking about and planning. I was going to wear this shirt all week long. I've been thinking I'm going to put that shirt on. I pulled it out of the closet and I held it up to her like this and she went, no. <laughs> so she tells you exactly, and, and that's what truth, truth is, is truth whether you like it or not. Aletheia, that's truth. And, and then, you know, the opposite of that in the scripture, the opposite word for that is the word pseudo. So you think about pseudos, and, and pseudos means lie, okay? That's what it means. But I, what, what I want you to understand is that the, the way pseudos works is it's not the exact opposite of the truth. It, it's just a little off. It's a distortion of the truth. It's just making it look a little bit different. So I, I said, what about this? What if you're looking out across the bay and you could just see right over to Fort Pickens, and, and you could, we were looking through a pair of binoculars, and you could see Fort Pickens. And you said, wow, that's beautiful, beautiful sight. Well, you know, this is the truth. It's a representation of reality, and we perceive it, and so it does filter through our experience and all of those things. But that, that out there is really there. You may not be able to touch it, you may be on the other side of the water, but it really exists. Now what if you just blurred it just a little bit, distort it just a little bit, and this is what the devil does. He distorts it just enough where we can, we can kind of imagine what it would be like. It's not the real thing. Or we might give you another example. Miss Elisa talked about Legos and building a house with Legos or building a, a Lego structure and all of those things, if you just take a few bricks out of the structure. It kind of looks like the same thing, doesn't it? But is it authentic? Something on the inside might be just a little bit messed up, but, but man, it looks really good, doesn't it? And this is the deception of the devil, and this is exactly what pseudos represents. Another word that we might, uh, how we might translate pseudos is counterfeit. And when I think about counterfeit, you look at the, the $100 bill, and you think about the, the $100 bill for just a second. And this $100 bill, there's all kinds of, of uh, security features that are built into the $100 bill. The, the Secret Service and the U.S. Department of the Treasury are experts in currency. The way that they pick out a counterfeit it's not by knowing all the different counterfeits that exist out there and all the people that produce them. They simply study the original. They study the real thing. And they put in security features so that they'll, they're able to detect whenever a counterfeit doesn't match up with the real thing. I got a couple of those. They have watermarks in them. 
that are printed into the paper itself. And they're developed when the paper is, when the stock is made. And it's embedded into the fibers. It's not a print. It's actually an imprint into the paper itself. Another one is, uh, they have uh, optical varying ink that's used to print the, the, the $100 bill. And it's a shifting ink that changes colors as the bill moves. Now, how do you create that? You can't do it on a copy machine because the copy machine only sees one color. Once it makes a copy. They also have microprinting that they use. And it is under a microscope, you can see that there's uh, different things printed even on Franklin's lapel you, that you can't see with the naked eye. And a copy machine is going to print it as a single line. But if you zoom in on it with a microscope, you can see all of those little, the, the printing that's there. It's called microprinting. And then even embedded into the, the paper, it's not really paper, the, the fibers itself are, are colored fibers of red and blue. And some that even glow under UV lighting. That, is, that are in that $100 bill. There's all kinds of security features. And so if someone wants to be able to detect a counterfeit, the way that they're trained is they study that $100 bill night and day until they know every feature of that one. And listen, they don't even tell us about some of the features that are in that $100 bill. There's a secret. And so these people that are trained, they know all the secrets of the $100 bill. We think about this ourselves. We see that we have the author of Scripture, but we also have the application of truth there. And, and Paul says to fasten that belt about. The word literally means to gird yourself. And, and what it represents is the activity of taking up the Word of God every single day and, and applying it to your life. Reading the Scriptures. Studying the Scriptures. Knowing the truth. What did Jesus say about the truth? He said, you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. He doesn't just say the truth will set you free. He says you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And so as we dig into the Word of God, we are applying, we are putting on the belt of truth that holds everything else together. together. So the author of truth is none other than Jesus Himself. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then we see the application of truth as we daily get into the Word of God. And then we find out that we have to be in alignment with the truth. The alignment of the truth. The belt was that central piece and it held the breastplate in place. And it held the scabbard that was strapped to the hip that would keep the sword in place. And knowing that the, the truth keeps everything spiritually aligned in your life. If something's out of whack, and you can sense and you can tell that something is not where it needs to be in your life, get back to the Word of, the, Word of God. Get back into the Bible and you will see where your error is. Right? All scripture is, is scripture is inspired by God for teaching, for correcting, for reproof, and for training in righteousness. So if you want to put everything back together, get the belt of truth fastened around your waist. And the Lord will begin to align your life. Have you become convinced of the truth of God's word? 
I hope that you've been listening to the things that Miss Elise has been sharing with us because what's central to all of this is the authority of Scripture. And what you believe about this book is going to determine how you live and you operate in the world around you. The belt of truth. Then secondly, Paul says not only to fasten that belt or gird that belt around you, but he says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. The soldier's breastplate guarded his vital organs. The breastplate was that defensive piece that protected against the enemy's kill shot. You know, uh, Cody is an archer. I don't know if you know that. And Cody, I'm using you as an illustration for a minute, wherever you are. But Cody's been going to archery tournaments, drawing that bow and shooting. And what, what he learns, what he's learning to do, and hopefully he's going to provide me with some venison toward the end of the year that I can make some deer steaks from. But what he's learning is to place that arrow at the exact right spot where it will pierce through several of that deer's organs to kill that deer so he can bring it home and make me some tenderized deer steak. Okay. But the enemy knows exactly where the vital organs are. And the breastplate of righteousness was there to protect it. That's what the breastplate for the, the, the soldier was in the Roman army. It was to protect those vital organs from that shot. To keep him alive. And maybe he loses a limb, but he'll survive. And that's what the breastplate was all about. And we need it. Mark it down. The devil is after your heart. He aims at what makes you tick. He aims at your relationships. He aims at what is most precious to you. Proverbs 4 and verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, the, the old English says, Guard your heart. Guard your heart above all else. Wisdom teaches us to, to put a sentry at the door of our hearts. What goes in and what comes out. You know, our heart is a lot like this sponge right here. I asked Allison to bring this for me this morning. It, it, you know, you think about this. What if I, whatever goes in the sponge is what comes out, right? If I, what if I put this down in a vat of vinegar and I squeezed it up and I soaked it up with vinegar? Would I expect to wring out of this sponge some red Kool-Aid or some sweet tea? No. The heart is like a sponge. Whatever goes into the heart is going to come out of the heart. Jesus said, how, are, how can you being evil speak good for out of the heart? Out, the mouth speaks from the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. And so whatever's in your heart is what's going to come out when you're squeezed by the devil. And so whenever Paul says to take up the breastplate of righteousness, what he's talking about is to be careful about what goes in and what comes out of your heart. And it needs to align with righteousness. Now we need to talk about what righteousness means. The, the Old Testament word for righteousness has to do with division, dividing, or cutting. That's what the root of that word means. But it came to be uh, talking about justice and truthfulness. And what was right. And what was honoring to God. So if you're righteous, it means that you are in a right relationship with the Lord. Right living. Those things that are pleasing to God. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, chapters 
chapter 3, verses 9 through 12, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may, to, may obtain a blessing. So what is Peter talking about? Well, he's talking about relationships. And he's talking about right relationships with other people and with the Lord. And then he cites from Psalm 34. And he says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil. Remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In the world that's full of evil, living in the evil day, it's absolutely vital that you and I as Christians put on the breastplate of righteousness and we're able to distinguish the truth from the lie and we're able, because of that we'll be able to determine what's right and what's wrong in the world around us. And we'll put on what's right as part of our armor. I think about it this way. Because that word, it, it, it talks about dividing. I think about how that when there's only one brownie left in the pan. You ever been there? You know, it's one brownie. Or maybe there's one cookie on the plate. Maybe you don't like brownies. You like his. And then we got Micah and Caleb, and they're both got eyeballs on the brownie that's in the pan. And it's, well, I want a brownie. Well, I want the brownie. And then Caleb says, well, I'll cut it. I say, you got to share. And Caleb says, well, I'll cut it. I said, my rule is, this is my rule. And this is what it means. This is righteousness or justice is another way that the Old Testament puts it. Rightly dividing. Okay? Judging between right and wrong. I'll say, all right, Caleb, you can cut it, but Micah gets to choose his piece. Right? That's fair. So if Caleb doesn't, if Caleb doesn't stay honest with that brownie, then Micah gets the bigger piece. So Caleb, what's he going to do? He's going to go right down the middle. That's righteousness. And when we think about righteousness, it, it really, it, it really uh, can be thought of in two different relationships. Our vertical relationship with God. Righteousness before the Father. And then our horizontal relationship with others. And the Bible teaches us to live in righteousness in both directions vertically and horizontally. But the Bible does say something about our righteousness before God. Christ's righteousness has to work through us because in and of ourselves we are not righteous. Isaiah 64 verse 6, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Did you hear many times he said all... <laughs> All means all, and that's all all means. There's not one, no, not one who is righteous before God. God Himself had to come and inhabit human flesh, and He alone was righteous. And then He died a sinner's death, an atoning, sacrificial, penal, substitutionary death for your sin and my sin. On the cross. 
And so now what happens is, if we believe in Him by faith, what happens is His righteousness transfers. It is imputed to us. He gives us His righteousness. And if that's not taking place, then your vertical relationship with God is out of order. And let me tell you this, if your vertical relationship with God is out of order, you're absolutely useless to the people around you. Absolutely. And all of your, your horizontal relationships will be broken as a result. I think about uh, Taylor in the Coast Guard and, and the Coast Guard helicopter that lands on his Coast Guard cutter um, out there in the ocean somewhere. And I think about those rescue swimmers that jump out of that helicopter. And I think about the poor soul who is lost out there that they're rescuing. And I think about how those rescue divers, they're a lot like Christians. We go after the lost and we seek to save the lost and we go out in the name of Christ and all those things. But here's the thing. If that tether's not down for you and me and we're not connected to that tether, we can't help lift anyone up. The vertical relationship between the rescue diver and the helicopter has to be maintained. Amen? If that helicopter flies away, they're just... Uh, two people floating out there about to be fish food. And so the vertical relationship has to be there. But, but here's the problem. Sin disrupts that vertical relationship. And as, as you and I, as we're walking with Christ, when we allow sin to get in and begin to erode our heart, it puts things out of order, out of alignment with our Father. And so He tells us daily to put on that breastplate of righteousness, meaning that we ask the Lord to work through us and, and to cleanse us of any unclean things so that we can be useful for the people around us and to maintain that vertical relationship with the Lord. And then, as a result, our relationships with other people will be in order. And we have to maintain those as well. We have to keep those uh, in place, because if we don't, then we're going to be under attack by the enemy. And then lastly, the, the last piece of, that we're going to talk about today of the armor of God are the shoes of the gospel. Now he says, put that belt of truth around you, put the breastplate on in place, and then put shoes of the gospel on your feet. The Roman soldier had stiff uh, leather hobnailed shoes which protected his feet on the battlefield. And Paul said that our shoes as a Christian are the gospel of peace. You know, your, your choice of footwear is determined by your activity, right? By your mission, by what you're about to do. I mean, no one wears stilettos to go jogging, at least Maybe make a funny YouTube video or something like that. But nobody does that. No one wears ballerina slippers, whatever those things are called. Some of you ladies may know. To, to play baseball. You won't see a, a lineman climbing a pole on roller skates. It's just not going to happen. Your choice of footwear indicates what activity you'll be engaged in. And Paul indicates what the believer's mission must be here upon this earth. What our activity is here on this earth by prescribing the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace that we put on our feet. Our orders as believers, as 
those who know and love Christ are to spread the good news of the gospel wherever we go. I mean, we can glorify God in heaven. Some have said that's our chief aim of life is to glorify God in heaven. And indeed it is, but how do we do that? Because we can glorify God in heaven. Why are we here on this earth, folks? It's for no other reason. The only reason God left you here on this earth whenever He saved you and He made you right with Himself through the sacrifice of His Son. The only reason He left you here is to spread the gospel to every living soul right now, today, in the day of evil. And so what we are doing right now as we're studying together and we're learning together and we're bending our minds to be able to put some of this information in, what are we doing? We are equipping ourselves with the hope of glory so that when we're out there in the world, we can do what Peter said. That we can give a defense for the hope that's within us with gentleness and respect to anyone who ever asks. The gospel is primary. The gospel is the mission. And wherever your feet touch here on this earth, you're carrying the gospel of peace with you. In Matthew's gospel, chapter 16, Jesus is having a conversation with His apostles, His disciples. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Isn't that an important question? Isn't that what really all of these conversations boil down to? Who really is Jesus? What is the truth? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I mean, that's the... That's the answer of the gospel. That's the core of the gospel that that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, little rock, pebble, is what Peter's name means. And on this rock, the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, that Jesus Christ was the one who lived and died and ascended, rose and ascended. He says, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do you believe that a Christian standing upon truth is invincible? I do. I believe that no amount of evil in the world, it doesn't matter what the enemy throws at us and how dark the days get around us, I believe with all my heart that we will prevail It doesn't always mean that you're going to have health, wealth, and prosperity. In fact, it means the exact opposite. Because when we enlist in the service of the king, we enjoy the king's rations. And those are spiritual, heavenly blessings. Things that you and I can't see. And so we are invincible. Nothing can hurt us if we are in the service of the king. So that's the question. Are you in the service of the King this morning? If you're going to take up that that third piece of armor and you're going to have righteousness with God, that means that you have to believe the truth. You have to put your faith in the One who died for you. 
You have to put your hope and your trust in the Lord for His provision of salvation. And if you've never done that, the Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You're disconnected spiritually from God. The first step for you to have victory in your life, to overcome in the day of evil, is for you to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His sacrifice and everything that He accomplished for you on the cross. You could be set free from your sin today. And you could be made into a new person. And you could be alive today. And you could have purpose and meaning for your life. If you will put your faith in Jesus, you'll say no to yourself. Not my kingdom, but His kingdom. Not my righteousness, but His. Not my plan, but His plan for me. Forsaking everything else, forsaking all else, I trust Him. And you could do that today. I want to invite you to do that. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're trusting in Jesus today, I want to lead you in a prayer. And I just, it's a simple prayer, but I want you to pray this prayer with me in your heart. It's your acknowledgement of sin and that Jesus is the only cure for the sin sickness of your heart. Say, Dear Jesus, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong. And I've failed to do the things that I know are right. And I deserve the punishment for my sin. But Jesus, I believe that You lived a sinless life. The life that I could never live. And You died on the cross for my sin. I believe that You were raised on the third day and that You're alive and You're on the throne and You are Lord of all. And so Jesus, I want You to be my Lord and my Savior today. Forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Make me new. Give me a home in heaven with you. And now if you've prayed that prayer, I want you to say this prayer. Say, Jesus, thank you for my salvation. I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. I want you to stand with me right now. For the Christian. For the Christian, if you're a Christian today and you've been fighting that, that battle with the enemy, you, you've been waging spiritual warfare against your enemy, the devil, and you know that he's got your number, I want to tell you this, I want to encourage you this. Nothing, absolutely nothing can stop the Christian who stands upon the truth. If you're standing in truth, that means putting your faith in Jesus, following Jesus, Building your life around the Word of God, on the Word of God. If that's what you're doing, then nothing can defeat you. We, sang, we heard Lisa sing about it, but the Bible says that the horse is prepared for the day of battle. But victory belongs to the Lord. And so those that are in His service, guess who's, guess who's going to win? Who wins in this story? We do. Say, I win. I win. Say it again. Win. Say it one more time. I win. I win. Why do I win? Because Jesus wins. And I'm in Him. Let's sing our invitation together.